This podcast series is supported by members at Patreon. If you want to support this podcast series, head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. Who says beer needs to stick to tradition? You can take the best of both worlds, brew them in a well-crafted process, and create the ultimate mashup. Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron, and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting. I am a music producer and have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself to be an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers on what sets them apart from the rest and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest on the North American continent. It is made up of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I'll be profiling the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. In this episode, I've hopped on the Sky Train in Metro Vancouver and headed out to New Westminster. This city has a long history in the Lower Mainland. Strategically placed on the shores of the Fraser River, it was a major outpost during the Fraser Gold Rush. A short walk along the riverside, you'll arrive at Steel and Oak Brewing Company. I'm Jordan Foss. I'm one of the co-owners of Steel and Oak Brewing Company. I'm Eric Mutal, uh, the head brewer here at Steel and Oak. So Jordan, how long has Steel and Oak been in existence? Uh, we'll have been in existence two years on Thursday. That's doors open in existence. Um, we started construction in May of 2013. How did that process start? Yeah, so the place came to existence. My business partner and I are old high school friends. We were over in Tofino probably, I guess it would have been 2011, 2011, 2012, now that I think about it. And Tofino Brewing Company had just opened up. It was the first time that we'd ever seen a brewery where you could go in just like you could at a winery and taste the product. And it was the first time we'd ever seen growlers before and taking beer to go. And so we just started chit-chatting with those guys and they were very open and asking them where they were selling beer. And they said they were just selling it to Tofino and they were selling out everything they made. We thought it was a really unique uh, idea and unique concept for a, uh, a small community. We thought that it might be un- unique and neat for New Westminster, which is also a pretty small town, even though it's in the middle of basically everything in Vancouver. When we came back, we started looking into it a little bit more. And later on that uh, that year, guys like Parallel 49 and Powell Street and all those guys started opening up and kind of reaffirmed that what we thought would work was working elsewhere. We decided that uh, both being from here, that we, we should go ahead. Where does the name Steel and Oak come from? So Steel and Oak, it's two part. It's a play on, on, on a very basic level, the two uh, vessels that you can make beer in, um, stainless steel uh, fermentation vessels and uh, or oak, um, oak barrels, so steel and oak. But on a deeper level and where it actually originated from was it tells the tale of the city of New Westminster, which is where I'm from and which is where brewing actually began in Lower Mainland. Um, New Westminster had the first brewery here in 1862. It, it, it talks about how 
the city was built upon uh, old materials like wood and, and oak and cedar and and but it also talks about the modern way that the city is going forward now with us, um, which is where the, the steel comes into play. So it's it's about the old way and the new way of doing things, and uh, which is which is what we try to do in our beers. And we always try and make sure that we appreciate the past in order to to make good quality beer going forward in the future. Right. So how did you come to be at Steel and Oak, Eric? So uh, I came in as a tasting room employee originally. So I started basically the day we opened the doors, starting the tasting room with the knowledge that if we got busier, I will help out in the brewery. Within a week, we were busy enough that I needed to start helping out in the brewery. And it just went from there. I started brewing, helping out. There was uh, old brewmaster Peter Schulz that recently left. He's taught me a lot. I was homebrewing before that, but yeah, just started off really as a random employee. <laughs> yeah, we, we hired Eric originally. Now, my business partner and I used to homebrew a, a bit, especially once we knew we wanted to open this in Westminster. But we quickly realized that our homebrew wasn't good enough quality to open a brewery with. So we knew we needed a, a brewer to, um, a professional brewer to open the brewery with. And so we'd hired a guy by the name of Peter Schultz that's German trained. And Pete opened the brewery with us. We hired Eric um, with the thought that Eric would eventually probably step into the to the assistant brewer's role, which happened a lot faster than we initially anticipated based on how quickly we were selling beer. Pete's decided to do some some soul searching and some traveling, and he's heading back to Germany, I think, eventually. So it worked out that Eric had been trained up for a couple of years and was able to fill the Pete's shoes and fill the role. So. And so how much brewing experience have you had, Jordan? I've had pretty much uh, zero. Well, I shouldn't say that. I homebrewed for probably a year or two. I've taken some courses on brewing. So I do have uh, you know, a pretty good knowledge of how the brewing system works, but not enough that I would ever trust myself to be the head brewer of any sort of brewery, especially the amount of money you have to sink into it. So we knew that we needed somebody that had experience. And uh, so that was something that we never had to worry about. How many years have you been brewing, Eric? I had been brewing, getting close to 10 years home brewing and kind of started off small with the kits and was going all out and a lot of reading. Even when I was in between places and I couldn't brew, I was just reading. I was online on forums and reading books and stuff the whole time. So I've been interested in it for a while. Any submissions to any like beer competitions or anything as a home brewer? I never did that as a home brewer and I'm still reluctant. Now we do do that here at Steel and Oak, but I, I have my problems with the, uh, with the competitions. Partly a big thing is that you try to, you have to brew to a style and I don't like necessarily getting into one specific style and just, it can be a great beer, but if it's not an ESB, it's or a traditional ESB, let's say, then it is judged poorly. And I also, my friends were my judges, I guess, and they they drank a lot of beer and kept coming back for more. So I I took that as a good sign. Yeah, that's the real award at the end of the day. <laughs> your friends keep coming back. Exactly. Yeah, and we I mean we have been fortunate enough to win a couple awards for sure, and we won uh, first place for our um, dark lager at the BC Beer Awards this past year. Um, we also won uh, first place for our smoked hefeweizen. Um, at Festival in Penticton this past year. So we do get to enjoy some awards here and there. Um, but as Eric said, uh, you know, Steel Nook's all about making, you know, taking the European style bases of beers and, and doing something creative and different with them. Yeah, because you have like a red Pilsner and yeah. you have yeah, the smoked Heptavison and the dark lager. Those are 
like mashups really between different beers, right? Yeah, they're beers that don't you know necessarily exist, um, especially out here. Yeah, the um, dark lager being the exception. There. Dark lager being an exception to the rule, but the the red pilsner was a, a was a beer that we, we created um, that actually doesn't even fit into a category and that never really existed. And the smoked hefeweizen was a, a beer that got done a lot in Bamberg, Germany, which is where our original brewer Pete was trained. Um, but it never really been done out here. And uh, it was definitely the beer that we came out with first and that we were the most noticed for um, was was that smoked Hefeweizen. So. Have those beers been in the lineup from the start? Yeah, so the first, we opened going into Vancouver Craft Beer Week and our first time for anybody to try our beer was the opening day. And we only had smoked Hefeweizen available at that time. We hadn't had anything else brewed through yet. So it was the smoked Hefeweizen, the dark lager, the Red Pilsner and our Royal City Ale uh, were the first beers that we had come out with, um, followed quickly by the Dry Hop DSB after that. So, What challenges do you have as the brewmaster, Eric, to make sure everything is well-balanced and the dark malts or the smokiness of the Hefeweizen isn't too overpowering? With those ones, so I was fortunate that uh, Peter Schulz, as mentioned before, he came in and all the flagships right now are his original recipes. And so I was fortunate to have that as a base come in and I don't have to design a whole lineup for a brewery. I have one that's good. There's a few minor tweaks that we'll be doing that we've been doing basically since the beginning. We're always trying to improve, uh, but the base has basically stayed the same. And so now as we go forward, I get the chance to, to try something new, kind of bring my own tastes and uh, feel to to the new beers. Yeah, and I think the uh, just to add to what Eric was saying that the the one challenge and and um, you know that we had at the very beginning is like you said how do you, how do you balance um, all these different flavor compounds and malt bills and hops and and I mean I'll just use the smoked half as a very good example. Um, when we initially did that beer, we put a certain percentage of smoked uh, malt in it, Beechwood smoked malt, and it was so overpowering and then we just dropped it by 5% and you barely noticed it. And so it's one of those uh, malts that really makes a huge difference and uh, you have to be super delicate with it. And one of the things that we always strive for at Steel and Oak is to make things in balance no matter what they are. And I think that's why the smoked half of Eisen is as popular as it is, is that it's uh, even if you're not a fan of smoky beers, you normally would still like it because it just whispers through. And for your your people that maybe not be initially like into the, that that. Um, traditional type of hefeweizen, uh, the smoked quality balances out those banana and clove notes just enough that it makes it interesting enough for 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 a person that might not you know dig traditional halves. So I think that's why it's been such a nice unique beer for us, and it's kind of what we strive to do with with our whole lineup: how to make things balance but still pique your interest without having to hit you over the head with with you know some crazy ass beer that just screams at you with with different flavors. Um, and, and that's what we try to do. Did you run out of beer in the first, the yeah. first month there? Yeah. yeah. So in the first two weeks we ran out of beer. Um, we had, uh, you know, even when we started up, it's funny, like in, in Vancouver, which has got a pretty big industry, even though we've only been open for two years, we're kind of veterans now in the grand scheme of things within this, this, you know, pretty young business. And, uh, what we, so when we opened, we had, we had no idea how much beer we we're going to sell. We had no other real breweries to kind of benchmark our, our business plan against. And so we thought we had more than enough tanks and more than enough beer and we were just wrong. The tasting room was way busier than we ever thought it would be. And, uh, so yeah, we, we had an issue where, uh, we just couldn't make the beer fast enough. The other thing too, is steel and Oak makes a couple lager beers, which take longer to make. 
And uh, so we're always at a bit of a disadvantage with how fast we can turn the beer around. And we give all our, our ales and lagers a full four or six weeks. Uh, so we don't rush anything. So it was, it was interesting. We got a week's vacation, which was fun, but I definitely wouldn't want to run out of beer again. Uh, we always do walk that thin line now because the beer does sell so, so well of trying, to, of trying to keep up with the demand. So. And where is your greatest demand? Is that in your tasting room or is that now supplying people? Yeah, now it's definitely um, supplying uh, pubs and restaurants and liquor stores. The tasting room, you know, being that it's only 20 people can fit in there, you can only really do so much volume. And we've kind of hit that that um, that capacity of what we're going to do. So everything else we add after that, as far as tank capacity and, and brewing capacity, all really gets sold out the back end. So for us right now, it's it's about demand in in uh, the interior. We're trying to we're trying to service. Um, the island we're trying to service, and uh, of course, all of our our local market as well in in Vancouver. So, Jordan, with you trying to expand into the uh, interior and out to the island, what is happening in the brew house to make that happen? Uh, right now, it's a lot of the same stuff. Um, so, what's what's happening? What happens to I think a lot of breweries of of our size is that um, you know your initial uh, goal is is to you get your your core lineup together of beers that you think are really solid, and then but as any you know creative type. All you want to do is keep creating new and cool stuff for people to drink and, and in all of honesty, selfishly for us to be able to drink too. But what ends up happening is one or two of those beers take off and they become your, what do I say, they become your fat tug because Driftwood sells uh, out of the Vancouver Island, sells so much fat tug, it's their flagship and they, and they just kill it with that beer. And so for us, um, the Royal City Ale and the Red Pilsner started to take off and, uh, and we were basically forced into brewing those two beers way more than we initially thought we would. Uh, right now, if you look at the brewery over there, I think we've got Royal City Ale in three tanks right now. Yeah, three out of the seven tanks. Yeah, are- and then the other two, and then two more are Red Pilsner. So we have five of the seven tanks are two beers. So basically, we're just trying to keep up with those. And then what it also happened is the Dark Lager won that award, and then all of a sudden it skyrocketed as well. So um, unfortunately, when you order equipment, it takes, you know, three to five months, sometimes even longer to get here. You're always either trying to guess going forward or you're constantly lagging behind a little bit. So for us, um, you know, in, in January, February, when beer, beer season is a touch slower, we were kind of in a good little space and now summer's hit. Um, we're just trying to keep up really. How many days of the week are you brewing? Between two and four days, we're actually physically brewing. Yeah. And uh, some days we'll do um, high gravity brew into the bigger tanks, and but once the that hundred hectoliter tank arrives in two weeks, um, I mean that six brews all together to get into that one tank, we'll pretty much be going around the, the clock at that point in time. And you were showing me the system; it's a little bit different than normal. Um, can can you describe it a bit? Yeah. So most breweries they mash into what is called their mash slash slaughter ton, and you can't change the temperature of your mash when you're in there. Um, you, it depends on, but most of them you can't. You go in at one temperature, you leave it, and that's the British style of doing it, and it can make amazing beer. Now, if you want the German style, which our old uh, brewmaster Peter Schulz did, uh, you need to be able to change the temperature of your mash as you go. And so you mash in as low as 50 degrees Celsius, and then you bring it up slowly to, let's say, 63 then to 68, rest there for a while, then up to 72. Uh, and you're getting different enzymes and different 
reactions happening at those temperatures, and that lets you do different things to the beers. Now, wheat beers benefit a lot from that. Basically, traditional German beers are the ones you do with that, and that's how beer is made in Germany. And so you get a different result out of what you do. And so that limits us in how fast we can brew because we are mashing in to our kettle. We can't, we can't start the next brew until the first brew is out of the kettle. Uh, slows us down. And we're not the only brewery to do that. Like it, we're not revolutionary or anything in that sense, but it does produce different beer that a lot of breweries in Vancouver don't have the capacity to do. Eric, can you tell me the size of the whole brew system? It is 17 and a half hectoliters, so 1,750 hectoliters, uh, 15 barrel for people that do it in that way. And then we have tanks. We have four tanks that are 35 hectoliters, so two brews to go into them. And uh, three tanks that are 52 and a half, so three brews to go into them. And we also just got a 17 hectoliter fermenter, so that's a single brew. That's going to be the fun one to do the more experimental, the one-offs, the ones that we know are great beers but won't necessarily be the best sellers. There's one beer in particular, the Smoke Lager, that we've done previously that is one of my favorite beers that we've ever done. Mine too, actually. But it doesn't sell. It's not for everyone. It's super smoky. Yeah, it's quite smoky, and then it has a bit of a citrus kick to it as well. And I know it's not for everyone, and there's some people that love it, but there's a lot of people that don't. And we found 35 hectoliters is maybe a bit too much. That, granted, that was before we bottled. Yeah. So that might be easier, but we definitely can do 17 hectoliters of it. And I'll be happy. Yeah. I hope somebody else is too. Now, recently there was the first collaboration fest um, for Vancouver Craft Beer Week, and you guys took the People's Choice Awards. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for, uh, for your uh, team Mookie. Yeah, Tumeki. Yeah. Yeah, Tumeki. Yeah. And that was done with Strange Fellows. Yes. Uh, tell me the story about that beer. How did that come about? So we were asked to do uh, Vancouver Craft Beer Week does a collaboration beer every year. Proceeds go to charity. And we were asked to brew it and choose uh, a partner. I was actually away on vacation when the initial thing got chosen. Uh, so I wasn't involved with the choosing Strange Fellows, but we know they make great beer and they, they're fun to work with. So we, we asked them, like, hey, do you guys want to brew a beer together? So the actual brew day doesn't involve as much collaboration as people might think because they don't know how to operate our brew house, everything. So that part, that's kind of, that's where the media was. There was a lot of pictures being taken and they weren't there. But it's all beforehand when ideas are getting thrown back and forth of, first of all, what type of beer we're going to brew. Just that there's all these ideas. You want to do something interesting in some way to keep people kind of excited. Well, I mean, we like to keep things fairly classic in a sense. Uh, And so we threw out ideas. Uh, We tried different things, even just adding tinctures of something to an existing beer to know how these different flavors will meld. And then there's a few ideas that didn't work out. And then talking to Ian, uh, the brewmaster slash owner at Strange Fellows, was actually one of his assistant brewers, and I don't recall the name of that that guy. Um, but he had mentioned that there was an old friend in Montreal had made a beer with these things called Tasmanian pepperberries that 
it made a really interesting beer. And we were talking about some kind of weird peppercorn to add to a, to a saison because those flavors usually meld well together. I had never heard of Tasmanian pepperberries. Nobody had. Vancouver, I called all the specialty spice stores around trying to find some to just to do a pilot batch. And there were none available. Uh, but the description of the things sounded amazing. It was peppery, fruity at the same time, uh, like kind of slow burn heat that we wanted to keep subtle. And so I started looking around on the internet where I could find these. I found a spice store in Colorado, uh, got them FedExed over as quickly as possible so we had time to do a pilot brew because uh, we wanted to nail down this recipe. We wanted to make sure we weren't just winging it uh, when it came down to the big thing. And so we tried it out. Yeah, he was right. They were amazing. They just have this weird flavor. It's hard to... I don't know why they're not more popular in cooking in general, because they're like a pepper, but with way more depth. So we just kept a classic saison and added that to it, and it just brought out all these things. And we added some New Zealand hops to give it a lot of floral aroma, a bit of citrus zest in there, and everything just melded together. A few minor tweaks after the pilot, and, and that was that. So it was a lot of just back and forth between and that's how collaborations work and the actual brew day is a bunch of guys sitting around drinking some beers which is great <laughs> jordan if there's somebody wanting to go down the same path as well what advice can you give them i i would say get a lot of money um and get twice as much um as you think is a lot that's really unfortunately in this business is very capital intensive equipment is not cheap and if you find early success, it gets even more expensive because you have to buy more equipment before you actually get to reap the rewards of any of the profit that you may be making. And the other thing that I, I say to people is that they need to be careful based on where they're opening if a brewery they think is going to operate like a brass neck style in Vancouver where your tasting room is going to be the only thing that makes you the money. Um, it's a really dangerous game to play when you put all of your eggs into a tasting room basket and then on a Tuesday night, no one's in it and, and you start to sweat bullets because you've, you've planned a brewery to just sell through the front door. Certain breweries that do it, uh, they do it well, Brassneck being that one, that, you know, main example, but, uh, there isn't necessarily a ton of room for more Brassnecks. So my advice is always to be, be prepared to not only sell, expect success in your tasting room, but also to allow for some some sales through the back end and to make sure that you hustle right from the beginning. The days are over where opening a brewery is just enough for you to sell beer. You need to get out there just like any job and get the beer into people's hands. And it needs to be bloody good because a lot of guys are making great beer right now. And the last thing the industry needs is, is a lot of breweries popping up, making subpar beer and watering down the industry. What we really need is, is people stepping up and making great quality beer so that everybody else decides to, try and one up each other and as, a, as an industry as a whole um, starts to make, you know, top notch, high quality beer, but in a friendly way, always in a friendly way. Always in a fr it's always, that's the one wonderful thing about this industry um, is that it's such a friendly industry. Like we'll give each other hard times when we win awards and somebody else doesn't or something happens to us, but it's all, it's all good. We, we always appreciate what everybody else is doing and the beer being made out there right now is really good. And we're all starting to take pieces of the pie away from, from the big boys. And it's, it's, so it's, it's more about collaboration than it is competition. Yeah, it's the only industry that I know of that I can call our so-called competitors 
and ask them a very technical question of, I've been having this issue, how do you guys deal with it? And they'll flat out tell me, they won't beat around the bush. There are a few things that you kind of don't share about your trade secrets or whatever, but for the most part, I'll call them up and be like, hey, I, I don't know how, how to do this. What do you guys do? What's your experience? And I'll ask a few people and get their input. If we're short on ingredients, if I need some hops, I'll call them up and be, hey, do you guys have this? I'd love some and we'll hit you up the next time. There's, there's just no other industry that I know of that our so-called competitors are this friendly to each other. So tell me about bottling day. Do you have a bottling line here? Yes, we do. Yeah, so we've got, uh, it's a Mahine bottling line that most breweries in Vancouver around our size have, which is great because that also means issues. We can all chat about it and spare parts. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's great. Um, it's mostly a great machine, sometimes very finicky. And it takes three people to operate, two kind of menial loading and unloading of the bottles, and then one person that's, they're watching it, making sure everything is is working properly. So it's just kegs and bottles at the moment, Jordan, no cans? We do do cans. Um, we started canning our Royal City Ale. So our, our Royal City Ale is, is an American blonde style uh, ale. And it was draft only up until March, April, I guess, of this last year. And uh, it was our most popular beer, number one seller, especially in the taste room and in New Westminster itself. Um, Royal City is is what New Westminster is actually called, or it's, its nickname is the Royal City. And then we decided to, we, we thought it would be a great beer to put in cans. Uh, so there's a great company in Vancouver called West Coast Canning, and uh, they have a mobile canning line, good dudes. So we started to can that in the Tallboy 473 mil bo- uh, cans, four packs, and uh, quickly found out that there's no faster way to deplete your stock of beer than putting it in a can. Um, the one wonderful thing about 650 mil bottles, and that's the other warning that I always tell to, to other breweries that are starting up of our size, 650 mil bottles, as much as you can love a can, the 650 mil bottles allow you to control your growth a little bit better. The margins are better on a 650 mil bottle, but even putting that aside, you don't sell through the beer as fast in a 650 mil, which sounds insane and silly to say that you don't want to sell as much beer as fast as, as, as we do now. But when your main constraints are size of space and how much capital you have in order to invest more tanks, slow growth isn't a bad thing. As soon as we put beer in cans, um, we actually don't have Royal City Ale in cans. We haven't had it for four weeks because we sold out in a week and we just can't make it fast enough. So as much as I love having cans, and I do, uh, we probably should have waited till we had some yeah, more capacity. Yeah, but they're great. When I, when I go camping, I grab some Royal City Ale yeah. and I go hiking. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good beer. It's a beer you want a four-pack of, and, uh, and it's refreshing. And it's, it's, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised yeah. we sell through it so much. But, uh, but that's the reason we have three tanks full of Royal City Ale right now yeah. is because of that. Yeah. What is your favorite beer that you make to pair with your favorite food? Ooh. See, the beer is the easy one. The food to pair it with. What's your favorite beer that we make? Uh, I'd say the Dark Lager. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, this probably switches, but I feel I go back to the dark lager more often than any other beer I go back to. See, whereas I probably drink the Royal City Ale the most, but I would actually say that our, my favorite beer of our flagships that we do is the Dry Hop DSB. But my overall favorite beer that I think we've ever done is the Smoked Honey Doppelbach. But the beer that I find pairs the best with food, and when I'm trying to do that, is the Red Pilsner. 
the red pilsner is is always like Rosedale and red pilsner. I always say are one and one a. Um, red pilsner has a nice multi backbone, but it has a crisp bitterness. So I really like um, Thai food and and Indian food and uh, something with some heat. And the red pilsner is fantastic with um, with food that has a little bit of heat to it. Uh, the bitterness just accents it, but it also scrubs your palate so that you yeah, can the get sweetness is there at the beginning, but it ends up crisp. So yeah, I, yeah. I agree completely. So I'd say my favorite food. favorite beer, definitely flagships would be ESB, I think, even though I drink Royal City Ale the most, <laughs> but Red Pilsner Pair is the best with food. Best beer overall for me is Smoked Honey Doppelbach. So I guess <laughs> I guess that's that's yeah. kind of a, lo- that's a loaded answer. Try it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I've said this before, the beers are all like, they're like our children right and like you like each one of them for a different reason and uh some sell better than others and the ones that don't sell as well that you know are is is the highest quality beer is we make this beer called rogan Weizen, and it is lights out and other brewers just love it but it doesn't sell that well because people get scared by the name rogan Weizen. And I don't blame them because, well, you know, they, they don't, don't even know how to pronounce it, first of all. But um, but anyways, it's it's I like them all for different reasons. But hopefully that kind of answered your question in any ways. Yeah. Uh, who's inspiring you at the moment? What what beer is really inspiring you? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> Eric, do you want to take this one first? <laughs> I get inspiration all over the place. So I don't know if there's just one particular. I mean, there's a lot of great brewers in Vancouver. Uh all over, but I get inspiration from a random beer that a friend brings over. It could be a homebrew that a friend brings over for me to try, and it could be a lot from eating. So different kind of flavors that meld well together at a restaurant that I go to, or if I'm watching a cooking show on TV, I'll be like, yeah, those flavors would well pair well together, and let's see how I can incorporate that into into a beer without being overpowering, but just using those kind of basic pairing techniques. Yeah, and I'll say, like, uh, I get inspired by a lot of our local brewery friends. Um, you know, the the boys over at, uh, at Dagrad, who we're really good friends with, um, they always inspire inspire me anyways because they're, they, they make just Belgian-style beer, and it doesn't... They make lights-out, phenomenal, award-winning, like, lots of award-winning beers but it never sells as well as it should because it's a big, bold beer that people are afraid of. And it's a beer that you buy for a special occasion. And what I love is that they don't care. They aren't going to sell out just because they want to move more product. Ben could probably make a lights out IPA, but he doesn't. And he, he, they stick to their guns they, and they, they do sell out of their product now, but they've never wavered from that. It's a lot of the beers they bottle condition and it takes eight weeks, which is insane. And, um, but they do it because they care about quality the most. And the boys over at Four Winds too, who everybody knows about because they always win. They won Brewer of the, the Year in 2015 and for Canada, and they won Beer of the Year this year. Um, and we were, we've, we've always been good friends with those guys. They were the first collaboration we did was with those guys. And uh, they always inspire us just based on how much creativity that goes into what they do. Um, both those boys, Kylo and Brent, come from restaurant backgrounds. And you can really taste it in their beer um, that they, they are mixing and matching flavors um, based on how you would how pair food together. And uh, so that always inspires me for sure. Those, you know, just, just any brewery that's making great stuff. And then there's other breweries that inspire me by just 
doing cool branding and marketing initiatives that from a business perspective, I'm always in awe of that, you know, how smart they are and how I wish I'd thought of that first. Right. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Big thanks to Jordan and Eric for their time and showing me around the brewery. If you find yourself in their tap room or see their bottles in a local store, I suggest the Red Pilsner or the Black Lager. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Cascadian Beer Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with new releases of this podcast and want to support this independently produced series, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. Alternatively, you can subscribe on iTunes and many other major podcasting platforms. While you're there, please give us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. For more information and to follow this podcast series, head to cascadian.beer. Until next time, remember, support your local.